Hello friends, Frankie here. I am just popping in to let you know about this super awesome bonus episode. We got to be interviewed by Rick for some other sphere podcast and we had such a great time. We got to talk about our connection to plants, our backgrounds with them, their cool mystical powers, and I even finally decided for good what my favorite plant is. So give it a listen and check out some other sphere for some really wild and interesting stories from all kinds of wonderful people. Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. In this episode, I'm joined by the hosts of the Propagated podcast, Daniel and Frankie. In their show, they explore the history, science and folklore of our green world. Understanding that plants themselves are wonderful storytellers and that by learning from the history and relationships between plants and humans, a more sustainable future, one of coexistence is both possible and vital. They're both huge plant nerds and their enthusiasm for the subject matter makes their show a really interesting and engaging listen. In the interview, I talk with them about their shared passion, what made them start the podcast and what that has revealed to them about the plant kingdom and humanity's relationship with it. We also discuss plant folklore and the connections between the plant kingdom and the paranormal. It was a most thought-provoking chat. Enjoy! Daniel and Frankie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we're so pleased that we got invited. It's going to be a great time. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So... First off, how did you guys get interested in plants? Danny, you want to go first? (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say, I think we both probably have our own origin stories with it, really. For me, it boils down to my childhood. I uh, grew up on a farm, so it was just kind of the natural lay of the land to know about farming and about different plants, especially native plants and plants that you grow for food. And that sparked it all. And my grandma really loved growing plants indoors as well. So I got kind of a healthy dose on both sides from like the farming aspect of like a more natural way and like growing your own produce and doing stuff of that nature, as well as having some like cool tropical plants inside that are just pretty to look at and don't maybe aren't quite as practical, but are really fun to have as well. Mm Um, Frankie, what about you? For me, I would have to say like as a kid, like I grew up in the suburbs and my dad was a really big gardener and I would join him sometimes in the garden, but it wasn't really like fascinating to me, I guess, until in high school, I worked in a greenhouse and it was so much fun. I had like my own walkie talkie. I had my own golf cart. I was, you know, drunk on the power of plants (laughs) (laughs) And it was just, I don't know, just like learning all of their names and what they could do and how they grew and what they needed and learning to speak their language. It just, it all stuck with me. And it's like one of the only subjects still to this day that like everything just sticks with me and I just love it so much. (laughs) Excellent. And so for you guys, um, is that how you sort of became friends and bonded or 
<laughs> well, Daniel was my bartender. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's it's a, yeah, it's a bit of a, a mix of both of our lives. I was bartending for Frankie first. And then one night I got off work and they were still there and we sat down and had a drink together and found out that we both had a love for plants. And, and fantasy. <laughs> and fantasy. And that kind of sparked, a, a, I guess, a never-ending story, if you will. Yeah, a book club and then a plant club. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Right, okay. No, fantasy is a... A great thing to bond over. I mean, yeah. is there any kind of crossover between those? I'm interested. I mean, I suppose in fantasy, we get perhaps uh, magical plants, don't we? Is that, Was there crossover yeah, for you absolutely. guys at all with those fandoms? Yeah. So yeah. I'm actually writing a novel and a lot of it is based in plant magic because it's just so much, I want to say lore, but more than lore, it's also like these plants have magical attributes that are just mind-blowingly cool. <laughs> so it's just a fun thing. It's a good crossover. It really is. Yeah, if you look at the nature of plants and how they communicate and and even just the basic science behind plants seems pretty magical, honestly. And then when you look at fantasy and being able to apply some of those principles into the storytelling is not hard to imagine why they kind of go hand in hand, truly. Totally. Mm, definitely. Well, one thing I really like about your podcast is that you're in each episode, you're telling stories about plants and related to plants. Was there a particular story about plants that inspired you to start your podcast? <laughs> we actually started the podcast. I remember the moment it happened. We were having drinks at the bar and we were just losing our minds laughing because we were trying to pronounce the name of one of these plants <laughs> and we couldn't get it right. <laughs> and we were like, you know what? We should just do this. We should just talk about plants all the time. There's just so much to talk about, especially when you open it up. Like we don't just talk about plants. We also talk about like poisons and we're going to do an episode on front lawns and like, you know, anything that's plant related. There's just so much good content out there. Yeah, it, it really quickly became after uh, doing a little bit of research on the first few episodes and getting our bearings straight, more of a plant adjacent idea than it is just mm -hmm. talking specifically about plants because the history of plants is incredibly rich. The cultural aspects of where plants came from, how they were used, folklore behind them, the and as you were speaking towards the magic behind them for a lot of different cultures is really cool and a lot of it i was wasn't truly all that privy to until i started doing research for the pro podcast and it's been mm -hmm. absolutely fantastic yeah mm, i mean I, you were talking before about the folklore and lore of plants it does feel like it is a case of of rediscovering almost like it's almost like rediscovering a, a lost technology basically there were these yeah there was this body of knowledge totally. that people had and have and it's it is out there. It's just almost waiting to be rediscovered. I mean, have you found that with through doing your podcast and researching all the topics that you cover that um, there is just this this entire world ready to be rediscovered? And do you, do you think that it is going to be rediscovered? Yeah, definitely. For me, the episode I just did 
an episode a little bit ago about um, plants in Western medicine. And that Mm. was a big one for me, finding out how many plants led to a lot of the things that, you know, increase our life expectancy and everybody uses, you know, like aspirin, for instance. And even on top of that, there's a lot of new fields that are kind of growing, dedicated to better understanding plants and how they communicate and using those pathways of communication to move forward with their own knowledge. And I'm sure they can, they'll end up being transmuted into some sort of technology as well. If you look at mycology specifically, must just the simple act of mushrooms existing in some of the places they exist is might as well be magical. And it's really cool to think about the fact that we're getting knowledgeable enough to start exploring these things in depth and using them to benefit our future. There are mushrooms now that uh, eat plastic. There are mushrooms Mm -hmm. that eat radiation. We speak to it in one of the episodes on our podcast and stuff like that is truly fascinating to me. And I, I can't wait for our, our fields of science to grow and more deeply explore ideas like that. Yeah, like the spinach. They they found that spinach could read radiation or um, um, landmines. They could detect landmines in groundwater. And then the spinach sends off, I guess, it, it like sends off this certain kind of waveform. And so then the scientists get an email based on like the spinach reading landmines in groundwater. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely stunning. So crazy. Who Who would ever expect, you know? Yeah, I remember that story, actually, and trying to work up a, a Popeye pun to, to eat about it, but yeah, I couldn't totally. think of one. Like, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. That, was, that was amazing. And then I, I do a Star Trek podcast with some friends as well. And a while ago now, we, we interviewed a guy who knew Paul Stamets, the mycologist, because of the character in Discovery. And we were talking to him about about mycelial networks and and mushrooms and it was amazing like some of the stuff that they can do like they've used a, a culture of of fungus to sort of to grow a network for, uh, the, like the most economic network for a public transport system and it did a better job of working out the best routes than than people did wow yeah 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 oh that's wonderful i saw that it was absolutely crazy crazy that they can do that Oh my gosh. Mushrooms are wild. Like when I found out, Daniel, I think, yeah, you had this fun fact that um, the mushroom kingdom is actually closer to the animal kingdom than the plant kingdom. And that just spurned a whole bunch of writing for me because that is just such a fun fact and wild. Yeah. And and the way mushrooms grow to having the network of mycelium that kind of facilitates spores of different types of mushroom to grow is wild too. And mycelium is, I guess, kind of what facilitates that, what they compare to a neural network of ability to communicate between trees. I remember mm. we we talked about it briefly when you were speaking towards mast seeding. Mast yeah. seeding, yeah, yeah. And and they think that those uh, networks of mycelium help facilitate those trees knowing when to seed all at once. Wow, that's 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 really interesting. I know as well that they can trees can detect um, other trees that are their offspring and, and trees that aren't as well, <laughs> and help share nutrients between 
between their offspring because they recognize them. Yeah, yeah, that's actually facilitated through mycelium as well, that transfer of nutrients, which is really cool. It's such a yeah, cool concept. It's, it's a whole network, you know. I feel like especially human beings, we tend to think that we're like on our own and we're like our own species. We don't really treat the environment like a network like that, you know? And so it's really a great lesson to learn from the plants outside that they work together. They all are a part of the same environment that we're also a part of. And that's, you know, one of, I think one of the best lessons that plants have to teach us. Yeah. That system of community that I think is oftentimes lost, especially in the U S and I imagine in most developed countries, honestly, but that, that loss of and lack of a feeling of community. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, in a lot of your episodes, the stories you're telling and the research you're doing, there's a, a connection between the, the plants and, and humanity. Mm-hmm. As you've done more episodes, how, what sort of insight have you gained into the relationship between the plant kingdom and, and humanity? Hmm. Yeah, definitely in the beginning, we wanted to start out making it a lot more fun and just like, oh, aren't these plants cool? But you're really doing everything a disservice if you don't also address the ways that humanity has harmed plants, you know, and the commodification of plants through capitalism. And also, especially in the U.S., almost every one of these plants and stories has huge roots in racism. And so... We just felt like it was doing a disservice if we only talked about the pretty flower and not the really deep and awful and horrifying roots a lot of the times. Yeah, it definitely was kind of eye-opening to take something that I considered to be a very fun and lighthearted hobby that I was starting to develop and 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 take hold of and watch it kind of make me more socially conscious and more socially aware as I start doing actual yeah. research towards um I guess the history of plants like one of my favorite plants in the world will always be orchids is what we did today we went orchid shopping but yeah the history <laughs> behind orchids and having them imported from their tropical locations is horrifying honestly it's it's incredibly racist terrible and a lot of the, a lot of those roots come or, or, or a lot of those roots are things that I didn't necessarily know prior to starting the podcast and and doing a more deeper look at the hobby that I had started. Yeah, and the way that we treat plants now and the buying and selling, it's really destroying environments. And so it's really important for us especially to feel like we we want to tell these stories because we didn't know them. A lot of the times and like we feel like it's really important for people to know because it's not sustainable and it just if we want a good healthy sustainable future for the planet earth like we we can't keep going like this (laughs) truly no definitely i mean i i remember an episode where you were talking about i think daniel you were talking about moths um and frankie you were talking i can't remember exactly what you're talking about it might have been a type of bug i think that was they were they oh, were working yeah, yeah. their way mm-hmm. through populations of of trees in in america and and that's something over here as well um moths have come in from from europe and they're devastating uh like oak and and ash over here but that's because of foreign trees were imported for 
for building projects around the around the Olympics actually uh, in 2012. So building new sites for the Olympics, they brought in these trees and they were from oh, Europe wow. and they weren't from Britain. And it's just it's interesting how not thinking about an ecosystem on a grander scale can cause these problems. I mean, through mm. doing your podcast, do you do you find that there are people who uh, have had a more enlightened way of looking at the plant kingdom and, and they set a, a good example for how, for what can be done going forward? Um, there are definitely a, a myriad of people out there who are working towards making sure that the future is sustainable and that we are uh, encouraging practices that move towards sustainability overall. I don't know that I am personally educated enough to give any specific names. I haven't done a whole lot of research into that uh, realm of things yet. Um, but it's definitely something that I think that is at the forefront of a lot of people's minds now is mm. looking towards a more sustainable future and how to make sure that that's something that we have going for us amidst what is obviously a climate crisis at this point. Um, yeah, there's been, yeah, there's been a really incredible movement of intersectional environmentalism, which is rooted in basically environmental justice, which is a cause of a lot of, of a lot of issues. You know, we talk about the racism and stuff and how uh, we're going to do an episode on, on it and like how places that were redlined are actually hotter and just stuff like that. And how it, it's it's exciting because like we were talking about the the networks and how everything's connected people are starting to go back to that and realize that everything really is connected and you can't tinker with one thing and have it not affect everything else and so there's really has been this incredible movement of like well no we need to address we need to address everything from the top down we can't just you know put a band-aid on one thing and everything will be better <laughs> absolutely Mm, definitely. Do you think part of it is understanding the plant kingdom as beings? Because I still get mm. the sense I still get the sense that they're seen as slightly passive and not absolutely. having agency. When I think that's nonsense. I think they absolutely do. Yeah. <laughs> from one hundred percent. How do you get that across? Do you think? I mean, I'm 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 wondering how what what it takes to to sort of allow people to have that realization or, or at least maybe not feel embarrassed to have that realization. I, I wonder if that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a big mission statement for me. Like I, since I worked in a plant shop for a very long time too, maybe it's personal, but I just really want everyone to find the right plant for them. Like I think everyone's a plant person. They just haven't found the right plant. If you've just killed everything you've ever owned, you just haven't found the right plant. <laughs> and, um, I think it's really important to have these things in your home and your environment because they do speak to you. I mean, they have very clear languages once you know how to understand and translate that language. And I think on top of that, you also have systems of education that need to be bolstered for sure. I think that a lot of people don't receive very much education from especially public school systems mm -hmm. about plants or plant knowledge or where your food comes from or the environmental impact of 
what you eat or how it's grown or the plants that you have in your house or anything really. And while that's obviously one of the more daunting challenges is, is upending and, and kind of revolutionizing a system of education, I do think that that's going to be one of the more inter integral ways to kind of move forward with this idea that plants aren't inferior and need to be understood on a more deep level. Yeah. A lot of it is systemic. For yeah. Sure. Hmm. Frank, you, you mentioned a couple of times about um, the language of plants and, and talking mm -hmm. to them. Can you just um, talk about that a little bit more? It sounds like you have very much have direct experience of that. So what was it like for you learning the language of plants when you, when you worked in that shop? Yeah. So, you know, I really didn't get super into plants until I moved out of my house and moved across the country and I was kind of alone and really lonely. And the person who had lived in my apartment before me had left some spider plants and I had never owned my own house plants before. And spider plants are great. If you have never had a plant that speaks to you, try a spider plant because they are very clear with their language. And I'm someone who has ADHD. So I often need plants that tell me what they need, you know? And so this is this plant that told me when it was thirsty. It told me, you know, it needed more sun. You know, it was very clear. And learning that, it was just, just eye-opening. And from there, I've just, it's, every plant has its own communication style. And learning that is just so much fun. And it's also really important, I think, to address people's care and love language styles too, because... You know, like for me, I said, I like to have plants that tell me what they need because I have to see it because I often have no idea how much time passed before I watered it. So, <laughs> but for other people, you know, they want something they could water, you know, every single week, or they want something that they can leave for a month and forget about and it'll still be happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm very much a mix of the two. I'm an under and over carer. Right. <laughs> uh, it just kind of depends on my mood at the moment, but it's definitely true that it's really fun to have plants that that do kind of speak to you in the moment that have dramatic reactions to their environment. Um, one that I've found to be like that is a calathea. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of mine just got three yellow leaves and I don't know what to do. <laughs> so dramatic. <laughs> the most dramatic plant in the world, I swear. Calatheas and crotons both just love to love a flair for the dramatic, but it is really cool to be able to have plants around. I think that it's, it's improved my mental health tremendously to be able oh, to surround myself with life, you know, at, even when it's dark and dreary in the wintertime here, it's nice to be surrounded by living green things. And, and as Frankie was saying, they do very much have a language of their own and it's fun to, to work with your plants and get to interpret what that means for each of them. Yeah. And they move too. Like you can't have a plant in your house and not see it as a living being. Like it is living, it is thriving, it is moving, it is breathing. <laughs> hmm. I totally agree with you about spider plants. Uh, they're great. They're very responsive to, um, to you looking after them, I find. And they, yeah, when they send out a little shoot with like a, a baby one, you're like, <laughs> it's yeah. just with some babies. Yeah. You're like, I did, I did everything right. Look at me go. I am master of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so satisfying. It's so satisfying. Frankie and I were talking about this uh, earlier when we were shopping for orchids, 
how satisfying it is to see your plant thriving in the environment that you've given it. It's just such a nice feeling to know that not only have you personally accomplished something, but you've benefited another living thing in your space as well. Yeah, absolutely. It it does feel like you're giving something and getting something back. I I do find that very rewarding. As as someone who's trying to tries to grow vegetables, it's always nice mm-hmm. when when you see that first green shoot to get very excited and uh, yeah, yeah I, I love that. And, and Daniel, working in a bar, how does how has your career influenced your love of plants? Mm. Um, well, it's definitely. I think that bartending, while it might not seem like the most stressful thing in the world, short hours and and the such, uh, is a rather stressful job. Um, just dealing with that many people on a daily basis, having plants around has made maintaining my sanity in that job very nice. Um, (laughs) uh, But on top of that, it's nice to have a knowledge of plants and have a knowledge of like how different herbs and things of that nature grow. So, and what their flavor profile can be, especially if you're going to try and make like a nice cocktail or some, some kind of fresh flavored drink, you can know how to kind of seasonally appropriate what's growing at that time, where you can get it. If you want to grow it yourself, it's nice to have the knowledge and be able to do that. And it's nice. It's just kind of the best of both worlds. Plants benefit me and they also are going to make the patrons of any bar I'm working at happier if I'm using fresh herbs in a drink. Yeah. And also like we love doing alcohol episodes. It's always so (laughs) fun to like find, like, I don't know why, but for some reason, my brain didn't connect the fact that all alcohol is, comes from plants. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to forget that, isn't it? I, that, that's, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? I, I suppose that's with society having seen plants as just a, a resource, I guess. It's, it is easy to... Yeah, the only alcohols that you really see marketed with what plants are in them mm. are tequila and gin, at least with any mm. real frequency, and I guess rye whiskeys. But uh, I would wager to say that half the people I serve a rye whiskey to don't know that rye is a plant. You know? <laughs> I mean, I really don't think it's common knowledge. Um, so it is definitely, it was curious learning about the different kinds of liquor and how many plants go into some of them. Gins sometimes have upwards of 30 plus botanicals. Yeah. Just yeah. to make the flavor profile of one bottle of liquor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and beers as well. There's like yet yeah, fruit in beers. Oh, and... Yeah, yeah. We live in the beer capital of America, and there's so many breweries, and they're always doing funky stuff with funky plants, and it's really kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, my current favorite is uh, we have a brewery here called Ginger's Revenge, and it's alcoholic ginger beer. Um, nice. And they run a hibiscus lavender ginger beer. And it is delightful, especially mm, with a shot of gin so in good. it. Wow, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I love I love anywhere that's mm-hmm. a beer capital. <laughs> You'll have to come visit. Asheville definitely yeah. has almost as many breweries as people, I feel like. So Yeah, sometimes I feel like that too. <laughs> yeah, when when I'm able to, it's definitely on the list of places to visit. Yeah. But so with your local area, what's the What's the landscape like around where you live in terms of the plants? Oh, okay. uh, I mean, I, I mean, I imagine it's 
very varied, but what are some of the favorite places that you guys like to go to? What are the plants like there? I think that one of the things when I was a child, because I've lived in this region my whole life uh, in the Appalachian Mountains, was learning that where I live is actually technically a rainforest. It's a temperate rainforest. Mm. Um, So the variety of life here is pretty astounding. Honestly, you have Mm -hmm. a mix of all sorts of different plants and animals and everything that I just didn't, you don't really realize even when you're walking through the woods or down a trail or whatever, how many different plants you're passing, just, just not even noticing. Um, I mean, I would, I, I personally, I guess having a bias think that it's one of the most beautiful places you can be. Oh, it is. My family lives in the desert and I'm like, I'm sorry, I love you guys, but I can't leave my mountains. <laughs> I just love that you throw a seed in the ground and a vegetable grows or you go take a walk in the woods and you can eat almost everything you find. It's just, yeah. it's awesome. It's so beautiful here. The mountains are gorgeous. Yeah, I, I, I've seen pictures. It, it does look stunning. Somewhere I've never been is the the redwood forest in California. I want to. Oh, that's on my list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. Because I, I just want to. I just want to see something that's so gigantic. It'd just be incredible to be be around a being like that. I. Uh... Yes. A spiritual experience for sure. Mm. Yeah. Truly. That's one of the things we talked about with the chestnut trees in. Oh yeah. In the eastern part of the U.S used to be almost as well not not quite but rather large they'd be hundreds of feet tall and several several humans around like full arm spans so like absolutely gargantuan trees that used to grow here that all died because of a blight from people bringing in foreign chestnuts from europe ah that's terrible yeah yeah, well, they're still working on it. It still has hope, so that's that's the good thing about chestnuts. But it is heartbreaking. Yeah, truly. Mm. So, if you had to pick one favorite plant, what would it be? I know this, this is probably a question you've been asked a lot of times. It's not very original, I know. But what would it be, Frankie? Do you want to lead, or do you want me to lead? Oh gosh! Well, I know Daniel's answer. <laughs> Your answer is orchids, isn't it? Yeah, always. <laughs> Oh gosh, I don't know for me. Um, grass. Yeah, grass. I mean, yeah. I think we picked them. I think our ideas are similar in the fact that for me, at least, uh, orchids are my favorite because of the absolute absurd diversity. Yeah. So many different kinds. So cool. And I feel like grass is similar in the sense that there's so many half, different Like kinds. if you walk through a suburb in the U.S., You'd look in five different yards and there could be five different kinds of grass in those yards Yeah. or taller grasses and plains or prairies or whatever. It's like grasses are pretty cool too. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of colors too. Like I think I like grass because it's kind of an underdog in the plant world. Like everybody Mm. has it, but no one really thinks about how beautiful it is, you know, and I'm not a fan of lawns. Um, I don't think they're good for the environment. They're not, they don't really have a purpose to me. I just don't understand lawns at all. But like when you let grass grow out and let it seed, it is so beautiful. And there's so many different kinds. Oh my gosh. I just love grass. It's so beautiful. Grass is really cool. 
Mm, that's interesting, though, isn't it? Because I imagine that a lot of people, when they when you think of grass, you you think of a lawn, but it's not, is it? I mean, it's yeah, it's it's very different to that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, lawns have been not been around for realistically that long. If you look at like the history of humanity, um, a lot of the origin story of lawns comes from aristocracy wanting to prove that they had enough time and money to keep their grass short and manicured, <laughs> which is just absolutely absurd to me. It was like a show of financial prowess to have a lawn. And now it's like an assumed just necessity if you're going to live in a neighborhood. Yeah. You know? if which they is have absolutely rules. absurd to me. Yeah. HOA standards. <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean, you're right there. I think it's, it, it does seem a bit odd, I mean, I, but I know as well that I think is people are being encouraged to grow their own food now, aren't they? And so I, it feels like there is that a slight sea change in yeah. terms of lawns, maybe a little bit. <laughs> Definitely. Oh gosh. I think I think it'll be Fingers a slow, <laughs> slow progression as as many things of that nature are when you're trying to change a cultural and generational mindset, but. Mm-hmm. There is definitely a push for it, and it's the first time ever in my knowledge that there's ever even been a push for lawns not being a prominent figure anymore, and that's really cool. So here's yeah. hoping, fingers crossed, we can get rid of them in, in not too much time. Yeah, yeah. It's better for the bees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got to help the bees out, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to help anything right now, that's definitely... Should be a top of your list. To start, yeah, <laughs> mm, absolutely. So, with researching a podcast, what are, what are some of the surprising bits of knowledge that you've uncovered as you as you've worked on your on your show that you maybe didn't expect about the Plant Kingdom? There's been a lot, honestly. Let's trying to like <laughs> narrow that down into a into yeah, a reasonable every episode. There's something because there's always just so much. Yeah. That you just wouldn't have necessarily expected to be the case. I'm trying to think of back on some of the fun facts we used to have because there were so many. Um, so many. Yeah, that's been really why I've loved podcasting so much is because we do get to research this every week. And there's always something you find out that's like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to tell everyone. This is so exciting. <laughs> um, but like, like I said, the fact that fungus is always going to surprise you fungus is wild um what else gosh let's see i was trying to look into oh i found out my old notes because i had some fun facts written in some of those yeah i found out the other week when we did foraging that some of my favorite forageable stuff was actually introduced because people wanted edible lawns and it just like you know people stopped caring for it and so it started spreading and now it's like they're technically weeds, but they were introduced and they're still like, like take chickweed, for example. Chickweed is incredibly good for you. It has all the vitamins you need. It's delicious. And, but it's like, you know, it's never been sold because it can't keep well. And so, but it's everywhere because people were really into it hundreds of years ago. <laughs> One of the things that I definitely, that, that I can recall that definitely threw me off or like, I guess surprised me was, um, that a lot of the, I guess, noxious weeds is how you would define them. A lot of the weeds that 
we are not necessarily happy. We are still having to deal with all the time, such as like kudzu or English ivy or these things tend to usually have been imported with the purpose prior Mm. and proliferated by governments yeah to a level that they were never able to reverse it and i guess like on a subconscious level i always knew that that was kind of the thing that there was like a purpose behind them and that's why they showed up but i never realized how prominent it was for governments to push regular farmers to like proliferate these plants and make them to the noxious weed levels that they are today Hmm. Is that something that would need to change, do you think? I mean, in terms of um, increasing plant diversity and and generally improving the biosphere in in America, is that something that would require the government involvement? Is is there much, um, do farmers have much choice in terms of how they're able to use their land? I think a lot of that uh, has changed in more recent years. Um, and absolutely, I mean, farmers have the option to grow and use their land in pretty much any way they want to. Um, but the government definitely has more so in the past than today pushed and paid farmers to plant specific plants or not to plant specific plants. A portion of my family still receives, I think it's something like $2,000 a year to not grow tobacco on their land because tobacco was being overgrown and it was detrimental to the soil and they didn't want to see an Eastern dust bowl like they had in the Midwest. So the government doesn't necessarily have the legal repercussions to force somebody to do something, but they definitely have ways of pressuring people into using land the way they believe that they should. Yeah. Incentivizing. Yeah, thank you. That's a better word. <laughs> right, no, that's no, interesting. Uh, Frankie, earlier on you were talking about your, your writing a novel. Mm, yeah. On my podcast, I, I generally cover topics that uh, are sort of adjacent to things like magic and the supernatural. So how has researching and writing your novel kind of taken you more towards mm-hmm. that area in, in terms of the sort of the esoteric use of plants and things like that? Yeah. Well, when I say I'm writing a novel, I mean, it's been like five years. So, it's going, you know, I'm writing a novel. No, it's been a lot of world building, which is like the most fun thing ever. And it kind of overlaps with everything we do with the podcast. Like I have a book that's called um, The Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. And it's just like all of these uses and like you know, folklore of plants and what kind of spells you would use it in and stuff like that. And it's just, I guess for me, it's like, it's just so exciting and fascinating that there's this wealth of history behind a lot of this. Like someone didn't just grab a plant and say, this is magic, you know, like they like have stories behind them. And, you know, when you're storytelling, when the stories are already there, it makes it a lot easier to world build. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of that herbal knowledge comes from millennia of experience yeah and uh oral tradition and written knowledge being passed down like mugwort being good for depression or mullen being good for uh respiratory problems um 
there's just so mm-hmm. many different things that they that were ascribed these met or medicinal values um over the ages and it's really kind of interesting to watch how society has worked in and around the cultural aspects of these plants and you know there have been crusades against witches for knowing too much about herbal medicine and at the same time there are people who found out that willow bark is great to make aspirin and they were heralded as geniuses for being able to do so so I guess I've, I've found myself really fascinated in watching the history of, of changing cultures around plants and, and herbal knowledge. Mm, yeah. Mm, and there were so many people coming to America um, bringing folk knowledge as well, wasn't there? So there's, there's, a, there's that and, and the, as well as the knowledge of the First Nations people. So there's very much a, a mix of traditions there. A lot of knowledge out there to work from um, in terms of traditions regarding uh, plant law. Yeah. Yeah. Especially here too, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, we have a convergence of a lot of cultures. We have Cherokee culture, we have Scottish, we have Irish, we have, um, I mean, all kinds of different people that came here and it all kind of mixed to create its own sort of folklore. Like there's a lot of folklore about these mountains that doesn't exist anywhere else. And that's pretty cool. Absolutely. I mean, even with all of its, all of the negative things that led to the U.S. inception and how it came about, it is definitely a cultural melting pot. And I feel like there's a lot of knowledge and good that can come from that if we're willing to take the time to learn from all the different cultures that have landed themselves here, you know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. What is some of the folklore of the of the area where you guys live? I'm I'm fascinated by that. Ooh. Well, one of my favorites, we actually did an episode about jack-o'-lanterns and it came from around here. They I think it's called Will-O-Wisps mm-hmm. and you um see lights throughout the mountains and stuff and it's like lost souls traveling through purgatory. Yeah, and you have words like haints and haunts and the things of that nature that are kind of specific to this area uh it's kind of that again that cultural melting pot where language kind of gets rearranged and assimilated into each other and a haint is like a ghost but you also have a super christian sect of people that live in the appalachian region especially um, and while their religion doesn't really qualify ghosts being able to exist, their superstition does. So you start to see that kind of merging of their religion with cultural aspects and more pagan ideologies of their ancestors that they don't even recognize that's where a lot of it's coming from in, in, in many of the cases. Hmm. What what is the story of the Boojum, right? I know the Boojum is local to here. Yeah, I don't know that I know that one off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure like he like is this giant creature that lives in the mountains and just like drinks and steals children. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, the definition is an imaginary dangerous animal. Hmm. I'm not but I'm not I don't think I'm familiar with that story. 
I was, I was going to ask you guys if, if you had Bigfoot. Where I'm from specifically, Madison County, where I grew up. Uh, yeah. That was always a point of contention in one of the small towns of Hot Springs of there being frequent sightings of a Bigfoot for years there. Bigfoot we also have a lot of what, black bears, you? though. Wow, that's, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> I mean. That- yeah, we have a lot of black bears, like in my front yard. I live pretty close to the city, but still we get turkeys and we have this family of black bears. It's a mom and two babies and they're constantly in the compost. Right. <laughs> so- oh. Sounds kind of adorable. <laughs> I mean, it's adorable to watch. You just don't mess with them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Another common folklore that happened out in in a lot of the Appalachians uh is that we have black panthers and always have had black panthers and that most of them have just been hunted. Huh. Um, mm-hmm. I always thought that was interesting. My grandpa swears up and down that he has encountered black panthers before. I find it hard to believe personally. But <laughs> it is it is definitely a prominent story I was told as a child about being out in the woods at night is that you had to watch for black panthers. Right, no. I, I interviewed a, a guy a while ago, actually, who'd made a film about people seeing Black Panthers, um, not where you guys are, a bit further north. And he huh. was talking to park rangers there who'd, who'd seen them. And, and what it seemed like it might be is that it might be male panthers coming quite far from places where there were populations of panthers. But what happens is that if, something, if an animal's de- declared extinct in an area... It's really, really hard for it to get recognized as being in that area ever again. So it's, it's way easier for something to be declared extinct than to, to become real become again. real again. Oh. So that's what, that's what he found out, wow. where he was anyway. I mean, I'm not sure how, how it would be for, for where you guys are. But, interesting. But yeah, that was interesting. Well, I mean, most panthers topographically are south of us. Right. So okay. that's, that's wild, though. I mean, it would be, it'd be, I mean, it'd be kind of cool to think that there could be panthers around. Hmm. scary too i guess in a sense but <laughs> well, we get them reported here too in the uk so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i don't know how that's explained <laughs> or maybe someone had an exotic pet and it got free <laughs> we used to have uh emus that ran around when oh. i was growing up actually ran around near my house because there was a lady that had them that lived down the street from us and they would get out all the time right so that was i remember my grandpa talking about the first time he ever encountered one because obviously <laughs> obviously you don't think about oh my gosh. seeing an emu some giant raptor like yeah. bird <laughs> running around in the mountains of North Carolina but uh he said it it scared the absolute crap out of him the first time he encountered <laughs> one and then realized that it had to have been from the farm down the road but uh <laughs> yeah I definitely saw those growing up and you like so it's not it's definitely not impossible that you could have somebody with an exotic animal that just escaped to making its own way out in the out in the world. Mm, definitely. I mean, and if you if you just saw the footprints, you'd be like, "That's a the dinosaur, <laughs> right?" Literally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'd be that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I think I'd be scared if I just bumped into an emu uh, in the forest. Yeah. <laughs> Emus, especially so, because they're actually. I mean, the ones that we were encountering were definitely more domestic than if you were to encounter a wild one. But they're as tall as you are and will hurt you if they 
if they want to, and they can easily. They've got giant feet with claws on them. They're like little velociraptors, except bigger and running around where they're not supposed to be. Literal dinosaurs. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Something I've thought about with and going back to plants is that there's been a lot of research coming out over the last few years around the idea of, of plant consciousness. And mm. I was I was wondering if sometimes the, the experiences people have, because, you know, a lot of the time people will see things in a forest, I mean, especially something like Bigfoot. Mm. You'll be in an isolated part of a, of, of a forest or somewhere. And I, I, I wonder if they actually it's the, you're, you're, you're surrounded by an intelligence and maybe it's the, maybe it's the forest trying to communicate with you. I, hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't find that to be that far fetched. Look at pretty much any hallucinogenic drug mm. that's natural, yeah. obviously is coming from plant matter. Um, it wouldn't be surprising to me if plants were smart enough to be able to communicate on a level of that nature that we just aren't really privy to. Cause it is, you're, you're right. Absolutely. That it is a normal, normally those experiences happen in more isolated areas. So that would be a pretty cool concept. Honestly, I've never really thought of it that way. Yeah. I never thought about it like that. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just that the forest is sort of, it, I mean, with Bigfoot, it's maybe trying to approximate something that you recognize to communicate yeah. with you. And it creates this, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just no, like that I love idea. it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, plants move way slower. It could be, if you wanted to look at it that in that light, plants could be communicating on a on a wavelength from ages and ages ago of more history yeah. that they have than we do. Because I mean, an idea of a Sasquatch isn't far off from some older version of of humanity of of homo of like Homo sapiens homo and that sapiens. Yeah. and that evolution towards towards Homo sapiens. It could be. It could be an an image into the past, you know. Yeah, and the the amount of knowledge a a forest would retain would be incredible, wouldn't it? So truly, especially in areas like where we live, um, these these mountains are it's one of the oldest mountain ranges in existence. Yeah, some of these patches of forest are still untouched for by hardly anyone. So they they've been truly have an ungodly amount of history in in these places you know yeah which is also why it's just so heartbreaking that there's so much like you know like like i talked about earlier the commodification of plants and capitalism cutting it all down it's like no 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 a tree is not what it's worth when it's cut down like a tree itself has worth and it has knowledge yeah. and it has memory and it you know it just it's heartbreaking <laughs> Absolutely. I was watching a uh, a documentary about illegal deforestation of areas and and like you were saying, the commodification of trees specifically for all the like cheaper furniture, like IKEA furniture. Oh gosh. That is you would think is really cool because it's like more affordable and you don't have to be rich to be able to live comfortably in your home. But the amount of deforestation that like temporary furniture leads to is absolutely astounding yeah the amount of land we've lost the amount of forest land we've lost just to just to ikea specifically not even 
setting foot on the idea of other companies that make that similar style of, of furniture, you know, that quick and easy, good for a couple of years style furniture. Like college dorm style. Yeah. 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 Huh. Oh, <laughs> you get what you pay for, I guess. I mean, it's just, yeah. And it's one of those things too, where it's like, Sure, an attitude shift would help fix that problem, but really it is systemic. Like it needs to be top down changed. Like we have to stop treating plants like they're disposable because they're not, they're living things. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, Yeah, definitely. With doing the podcast, was there a favorite episode that you've done so far? I really like doing poisons. I've been thinking about our poisons episode a lot lately. (laughs) I wanted to do a part two because it was so much fun to research. Poisons was really fun. I really enjoyed the episode we actually just released, the uh, our 420 episode. Uh, oh, yeah, that was good. It was really fun to research. <laughs> it was also, I learned a lot that I didn't know. We learned so and much. And I'm yeah. down for any, anytime I get some extra education, some extra knowledge, I'm super into that. And also, it was really fun, like, speaking with people who have more education than I do in certain topics. So, like, having guests on and doing things of that nature have probably Mm. been some of my favorite episodes because it gives me an opportunity to learn in a way that I find more entertaining, which is from Mm -hmm. some, from someone as opposed to me teaching it to myself, you know? That was a fun fact that we learned was that your body literally has a system specifically to break down cannabinoids. Yeah, absolutely wild. Had no idea. Never knew that. (laughs) I didn't know that either, but, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's apparently yeah. part of like it's like its own nervous system that is literally solely in your body to break down cannabinoids. Solely created for that. I always say that word wrong. <laughs> it could be cannabinoids. I don't know. Can, 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 we, we don't necessarily have an amazing track record of pronunciation, honestly. So no, we're not great at pronouncing things. <laughs> No, I, I think you guys nailed it there. So does that mean, is that something that developed through use of those cannabinoids or is it something that was just, that was just part of our system anyway and, and kind of adapted to to them? Yeah, I would have to do more research into it. Um, it was a guest episode, so that was something that they, that was like a fun fact they gave to us. So I'm not positive oh, okay. on all the details there. Right now, no, no problem. Um, over here, there's a there's a castle. I think it's in Northumberland that has a, a poison garden that you're not allowed to yeah. go into because it's it's too dangerous. Oh, no, you're not allowed to go into it. That would drive me absolutely insane. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I think you can, but you have to be taken around very carefully because it's it's full of really really dangerous stuff but i I don't think it's because they don't want you to i think it's just they're worried they'll get sued by someone (laughs) if if somebody dies from eating something in there i can see that yeah yeah (laughs) we have on our bucket list along next to the redwoods we also want to go visit the kew gardens yeah because they have a poison garden too yeah yeah you know what i it's one of those things where i've never been but I, i I would re- love to. It, it, yeah. looks, it looks great. You'll have to go for us. Mm, definitely. There was a huge storm over here about 35 years ago that unfortunately it blew down, lo- blew down loads of trees over here. Um, 
and I, that's the first time I remember hearing about Kew Gardens because it was it was in the news and, and all the all these ancient oaks had been blown over. But um, oh, oh, that's so sad. Yeah, yeah, it's it is. Um, but yeah, it's still I mean, it's still a wonderful place to visit. Well, Daniel and Frankie, this has been a really fun chat. Thank you so yeah. much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, this has been absolutely amazing. Such fun. So much fun. If people want to find out more about you guys and your wonderful show, how best do they do that? Honestly, your best bet is probably to visit our website first. Um, That's propagatedpodcast.com. It's going to provide you with links to all of our other social medias, um, our Patreon, if you feel as if you want to support us. Um, Yeah, and Frankie put in a lot of work and effort making (laughs) it look really beautiful for you guys, so... Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and you can listen to us on there too. I mean, we're on any podcast provider, but we also have links on the website. So, Brilliant. Well, I'll make sure to put all that in the show notes. Great. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) I've been wanting to do an episode relating to plants for a while now, as I think there's a lot of crossover between that world and a whole range of Fortean subjects. Daniel and Frankie were so great to talk to. I love how enthusiastic they are in their show, both in celebrating how weird and wonderful the plant world is, but also sadness and anger at the way it has often been treated by humanity. They're full of great advice for looking after plants too, so you should definitely give the Propagated Podcast a listen if you enjoyed our conversation. Of course, if that's the case, then please consider rating this episode and sharing it on social media as it really helps the podcast to grow and find new listeners. You can find some of the Sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and on all good podcast platforms. And you can now also donate to the podcast via Ko-fi. If you'd like to email me here at SphereHQ, the address is someofthesphere at gmail.com. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Some Other Sphere will be back in a couple of weeks with the new episode. Until then, be safe and well. Talk to your plants and thank you very much for listening.